previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. When the Phillies won the World Series, I felt like I was on top of the world. When the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I felt like that legitimized my existence. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome to episode 55 of the Sports Refuge, the weekly interview show where guests discuss their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. I first met Dustin Curse during my run on the game show Sports Jeopardy nearly four years ago. He was one of the competitors in my seventh game where it went down to the wire and was determined on a final Jeopardy question. The Michigan native is a diehard sports fan cheering for his Lions, Tigers, Pistons, and Red Wings, a family man, and the business director of his wife's dental practice. In this episode, I speak with Dustin about his love for sports, what the environment was like in the green room and on the stage for Sports Jeopardy, his experience going to L.A. for the first time, and his memories from the trip. Curtis will also discuss regulating his fandom as his family began to grow, his fandom for pro wrestling, and what it's like working on the business end of a dental practice. Right now, here's my interview with Dustin Curtis. With me is someone I had the fortune of being on the game show Sports Jeopardy with. I know you guys saw a lot of our last interview with, with Vinny, the all-time champ. Dustin Curris is one of the people I had the fortune of playing against, and, and it was an all-out battle on that game. I don't care what people will say and people say it. It was a ridiculous, crazy game because when you get on TV, you never know what to expect in that sort of environment. And I know that when those lights get uh, pretty bright, everybody's sort of trying not to get too nervous. <laughs> it's a perfect way to put it, man. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you for, for taking time out of your, your busy schedule to do it. And, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. Really happy, happy to see you, bud. It's been a while and uh, yeah, reliving the glory days. Let's, uh, let's do this. Oh yeah. You know, and I think about when we got to that green room, it was a pretty loose group. You feel like you hear like with regular Jeopardy is weird trying to differentiate regular Jeopardy, sports Jeopardy. But when you hear with some of the contestants, it's a little different vibe. But I think ours was pretty cool. Everybody seemed to like each other. Everybody seemed to get along. No uh, egos, no sort of like I dislike this person or this or that. It was pretty fun. No, I, I, I got to agree with you on that. That was I think that's what made some of the experience super cool. I mean, yeah, there were nerves heading in that bus ride. Didn't know what to expect. Um, but once we got in the green room, obviously the Jeopardy team is amazing at getting you, getting you calm, I guess, and just kind of making sure that you're having fun. But, uh, like you said, it wasn't cutthroat. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if, uh, people were going to be just kind of quiet and kind of doing their own thing. I didn't know if people were going to have some sports encyclopedias with them and just kind of going through everything as we went or whatnot. But, um, it ended up being a lot of fun. Uh, I, to be honest, you know what's funny? I, I really think the uh, the most competitive person in that room was the guy in between us on set, Rich. <laughs> I, <laughs> it was a, <laughs> that poor guy. He took it hard. The whole path of getting there, the whole online quiz. I was telling Vinny before, and the last time I did this, that I didn't get the first online quiz. I I missed it. Uh, trying to get to it, but then they had that announcement that they were redoing the test mm -hmm. as a result of some type of, a, I guess, some type of glitch or error that occurred, and then that gave me a second chance to do it, and I was thinking, wow, this I can't miss this chance, and then running through some of those questions, which uh, some people may be able to find it on YouTube. The act, Somebody actually has a channel with all the tests from college, from the regular... What? I didn't know that. 
Yeah, and they had that one on there. And I'm thinking, out of those questions, I, I only missed maybe a few, a small amount. And then I was shocked when I got the call. And then going out to uh, going out to New York City for for my audition, it was just like it was a whirlwind. I normally feel like I don't check my email enough, and then I saw that email about going out and registering a spot for for the audition in New York. I'm like, why not? This might be the right. only I ever get a, to be on a game show. Amen to that, dude. Yeah, no, I, I was the same way. It was funny. Um, so I watched Jeopardy growing up and sports nut growing up. Um, me and my brother were the black sheep of the family on both sides of the, the family. We had the car guys on one side of the family. We had the farming guys on the other side of the family. And then there was me and my brother that just played sports. And that was it. That's all that mattered. I was the kid that summer break, you get up at like eight o'clock and you watch sports center until like 2 PM back in the day. If you remember like in the nineties, Olbermann and Patrick, like they just played the same episode for like seven straight hours. I just sat there eating donuts and watching every episode. Like. Over and over. So yeah, and collecting cards, all that stuff. And my wife knew this. So we were watching Jeopardy one night and uh, Dawn saw that they were doing auditions uh, online, the test that you're talking about. So I took the test that had the glitch. I started getting like history questions and stuff like that in the sports Jeopardy like test. I'm like, I'm bombing this. <laughs> I don't know much about history. And uh, sure enough, I probably got a similar email to what you got saying we're redoing this thing because there was an issue. So did that. And uh, it was her encouragement. She's like, just try it. What the heck? And uh, geez, I feel like it was probably within a month that I got an email saying, hey, do you guys want to go to New York to audition in person? I said, heck yeah. And uh, coincidentally enough, my buddy, like the best man at our wedding, happened to be on the teacher's edition of Jeopardy earlier in the season. So he told me everything that was going to happen and all that stuff. And uh, it worked out. It was exactly what he said it was going to be, just tilted towards sports, which obviously for you and I worked out okay. Yeah, and the thing is that I honestly look at the whole thing when it came to uh, the questions and, and all that whole thing. I wasn't sure what to expect going into an audition like that. Sure. I was glad that I was able to get off part of the day and doing that yeah. and yeah, because I took the train up. I tell people the story. Drove to Trenton, took the train up into New York City. Once I got there, we walked down from MSG all the way to that Weston Hotel. Oh, wow. yeah. And that was the day Muhammad Ali died. So I was like, oh, boy, I hadn't. Oh, geez, it was. <laughs> oh, that's right. Probably wow. they mentioned it in the room. I know uh, Maggie had mentioned it a few times. And it was just crazy. And we were like, wow, I see all the big screens in there with all the tributes and all that other stuff. And man, but you know, it was a fun experience and I was just thinking, okay, what to expect? I, I know from some people who try out for Jeopardy, then they, t they tell you, you take another test and then mm -hmm. they'll grade those and then go in the order of how many of those people, uh, you know, how well you scored and just play a mock game from there. Yep. And I, uh, it's crazy. So I'm at the airport. We're flying to New York. We kind of made a, a long weekend out of it. Me and my wife, we're going to meet some friends out of Philly. They're going to drive up. And uh, I'm at the airport and I get a, a, an email from my buddy that was on the teacher's edition. And he said, hey, um, you're going to be auditioning with a buddy of mine who just so happens to be a guy you haven't met that's been in our fantasy football league for like the last 10 years. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So dude was on my flight. So he told me what he looked like. I looked at his Facebook profile and he was on the flight. So he and I chatted for a few minutes before we got on the flight. And he was a two-time winner on regular Jeopardy. 
like two years prior, three years prior, I don't know, whatever the rules are outside of that, that wait period, he was back in. So a uh, smart kid. And um, he told me again, all the details for auditioning and all that stuff, what would be. And I remember this. So I sat next to him at my audition. Um, and we're taking the test and all that stuff. So they, we take the written test where you, what was it? I think it was eight seconds handwritten, 30 questions, eight seconds per question and pencils down at the end of 30, the 30th question, eight seconds. And, um, so they take the test back and we're all just kind of shooting the breeze while they're grading the test. And he's like, this is how it's going to go. This is how it went in my audition. Maggie's going to come back with her team and she's going to call up three people to start auditioning on camera. And the first name that she calls is the person that is guaranteed to get the call to go on the show. I'm like, okay, cool. And of course, like, you know, they encourage you to be as boisterous as possible and just be a ham. That's naturally who I've always been. So it came easy. And Maggie and her team come up and they tell us what they're gonna do. They're gonna do the, the video audition. And they say, all right, first up, Dustin Curris. And I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, we got this. As long as I don't blow this, we're gonna be good. And it was good. It was, uh, I can't remember the questions they asked, but uh, it was it was a ton of fun. It was a great day. I remember leaving that audition just with the, obviously you're being a ham and you're trying to get on camera and stuff, you, all the fake smiles. I had a migraine by the time I left, but I didn't care because it went so well. And then I think it was two weeks later, I got a call from Maggie saying, can you be in LA in two weeks? And obviously I said yes. So it was a great experience, a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was fun because did you have, other than that, did you have a game plan going into the auditions? Um, I always kind of thought going in, it was, I'm going to know what I already know. I didn't really cram too much on stuff. I may have, I reviewed a little bit of historic stuff and some things that um, I hadn't really touched on too much. And we'll, we'll touch on boxing, I'm sure. <laughs> that was the big question at the end of our, our episode. But um, I just kind of said, I know what I know and we're good. Let's just roll with it and have fun. And I knew that they were going to be looking for somebody that was good on camera. And that's kind of natural to me just because I've always been the family ham. So I just leaned into it and it, it worked out. But going into it, it was um, just have fun with it, be myself, and hopefully it took care of itself. What about you? What was your big fear going in? I wasn't sure what to really expect. I know they wanted to show a personality. I know I'm not one of those demonstrative type guys so i was hoping like not to embarrass myself that's the first thing then like okay (laughs) yeah that's a good point hopefully i get on and just go with what i know i honestly for a point i watched the first season pretty religiously of sports jeopardy and i stopped maybe halfway through season two and i think i started watching right when Vinny started playing but i didn't yeah yep yep at all and that's when they were saying you know Vinny's up to how many wins is up to i i had stopped to the point where i didn't know Vinny was up in the double digits at the point because i i had not watched for a while and then all of a sudden once i got the call i just started cramming up all the way through and i didn't even catch up with uh the end of season two until maybe a couple weeks before my first episode started running i had honestly had slacked on it but when i started getting into uh the the practice and knowing okay i'm going out to california i started watching everything under the sun i watched two minute drill episodes i watched the schwab i watched the the schwab like crazy (laughs) yeah yeah you know it's unfortunate that game didn't last as long as it could have but i feel like espn never gave 
lot of their game shows a shot. And I, I love Two Minute Drill. Just like the whole rapid fire pace. Two Minute Drill's good. And, and uh, Kenny Main was such a great host with that. And how do you not like him, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, yep. for the longest time, I never knew he was Randall Cunningham's backup at UNLV. I never knew that. Well, I'm learning new things again from you, Earl. So <laughs> well done. It's <laughs> just so crazy. And it's like, I also did the same thing. I didn't really try to brush up on anything new. I just wanted to go through a refresher. There's certain things I know. I'm, yep. I'm hoping I know enough hockey. I'm hoping I know enough NASCAR. Women's sports gave me a little bit of, of trouble. And I'm just going by what sure. I know. I, I was trying the best. And I already knew the first thing. As long as there's no science involved, I'll be fine. (laughs) A science question got me on one daily double, even though it didn't hurt me too bad. But yeah, it definitely didn't hurt too much. No, you did okay. You did good, kid. (laughs) No, I tell you what, my biggest fear going in. So again, like I I mentioned, like sports crazy. That's all that mattered in my life until I got married. And then they mattered a lot still. But obviously, somebody take a back seat. And then we had two kids uh, within two years before I got on the show. And that changed things, obviously. So I'm not growing up outside of Detroit, Tigers, Lions, U of M, Wings, Pistons, all that. Watched it all. I'd watch 150 to 160 Tiger games a year. Never made all of them. But um, then it went to zero. There were those two years before I got on the show where – my sports knowledge just dropped dramatically. So I was really fretting. It's gotten back up. I'm not where I used to be, but we're slowly, as the kids are getting older, we're getting back into it. But um, I'll tell you what, I was terrified. If they asked anything like stats wise or something like that, like NBA 2015, I'm like, I'm out. And I'm out, like high, anything. Baseball, like, yeah, I watch playoffs and stuff like that. I still watch playoffs for everything. But as far as regular season goes and just keeping up during the, that that at that point in time i was screwed if they asked anything within the last two years and thankfully i think the only thing they asked was like um I, rich got the question i'm trying to think i haven't watched the episode in a while but it was it was the answer was gabrielle union and it was who she was dating pop culture stuff that i don't pay attention to but other than that everything else was 2014 and, and in the past so we were on solid ground so that was literally my biggest fear yeah that was the same with me i mean some obvious ones like kevin durant yeah i'm gonna get those but then it came like sure. so I, I honestly have fallen off cut watching college sports and a lot of the nba i think my my groove was basically mid 90s to early 2000s of nba and and football, so Amen. I watch, even though the Redskins disappoint me. Baseball, I, <laughs> Lions fan. Oh, uh, <laughs> hey, I mean, you guys beat the Redskins to break the losing streak. I, I will always remember that because uh, Albert Hainsworth. I say, what this year? We looking, lost you guys this year. <laughs> looking like he was dying or uh, had the wind knocked out of him, and they had to cart him off and everything. <laughs> the only one that matters is Mark Rip in '91. That's, I mean, that's it. That was our year. That was it. Peak Barry. Perriman, Herbin Moore. Oh my gosh. Those lines were really good. And I remember uh, a little later on, I always think of Scott Mitchell as the quarterback. Scott freaking <laughs> Mitchell. Gosh. Oh my. There are still people that walk around Ford Field with Scott Mitchell jerseys. There's still novelties. When you think about that time, what Dave Craig was a uh, was wasn't he like Dave the- Craig? We had Dave Craig. We had Eric Kramer. Eric Kramer was a 91. We've had some things. Charlie Batch. I'm a, I was a Charlie Batch fan. I had a lot of friends that went to Eastern, so I saw him play in college a lot. But uh, yeah, that was my biggest thing was recent sports knowledge. But to be honest, 
came back from the taping and everyone's like, how'd it go? And so I mean, that was the coolest day of my life. They're like, you got two kids. That was the coolest day of your life. That was the coolest day of my life. The kids being born, the greatest days. This was the coolest thing that I've ever done. Like, and I'm, I'm guessing you probably feel the same way, like just top to bottom. And you got to experience a lot more than I did. I hated being the first one up that day because I didn't get to see you in action. I didn't know how good you were. I was very, very confident about getting you on the buzzer. It took me the first round. And then I, I, I found my groove with the buzzer and I knew I'd get there. It just took me some time. And then, and then Final Jeopardy came and that was the thing. It was like boxing. I've been wanting to ask you this. I grew up watching boxing like crazy, like 87 to probably 98. I, me and my stepdad watched boxing like every pay-per-view. We watched uh, Showtime boxing. We watched Friday night boxing on ESPN. We watched the HBO pay-per-views. Like I was confident as hell going into that. And that's why I went so big. And I'm also like, I don't know. We haven't had a boxing question. I don't know what Earl knows about boxing, but if everything else shows, Dude knows everything about everything. So I'm like, I got to go. I got to go big. And to be honest, I thought about it for a quick sec. I, If you remember, they had the commercial break, whatever. Maggie came up to me because I was taking so long with my wager. I wagered nothing at first. And I talked myself out of it. <laughs> and that would have done it. Boxing was one of my, I think, many blind spots. I'm like, okay, I'm trying to think heavyweights. Uh I'm looking up on uh, the Jeopardy's like, official board. I forgot who I put. I did Ali and Frazier. And, and I, I think you might have done the same. Yeah. And then Rich went Ali Liston, I think. Yeah. And, and they uh, okie doked us. And that was a, it's rare that they throw in the trick question because Ali was a light heavyweight. And nobody remembers that, right? And that's definitely out of same. my and I didn't even think anything of it because I always thought of him as a heavyweight. And that's my one thing. I mean, I would have gotten something that was like, okay, if it's Jack Johnson or Joe Lewis, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. I'm like, it was boxing. These are the things that are going through my head. I'm like, I did a six-trade book report on the biography of Joe Lewis. I remember some of that stuff. And I'm like, I remember my stepdad talking to me about, like, um, Marciano. And I, I knew a lot about Liston. And I'm like, I don't know. I think I'm going to get this. And then they asked that. And I'm like, I was really confident. I was, I was quietly, like, really excited. Like, I think I got this. I mean, I and I got my share of Boston questions. I got the Max Schmeling one. And yeah, I'm just going to throw something up. I had the inner dialogue. It's like something out of coming to America. And, Perfect. And we're in the barbershop. And I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> Ali and Frazier, those are the only ones. Foreman never popped into my head. And Frazier beat Ali. And then Foreman beat Frazier. And then Ali beat Foreman. Right. That scared me half to death. And it's like. I tried to overextend myself trying to beat you by like one or so. Or yeah. You know, yeah, I think I can't remember what the math was, but yeah, I have no regret. It's so funny. Like I've had so many people come up and be like, you were so close. You had him. I'm like, whatever. Like bottom line, like I said, win, lose. That was the coolest experience of my life. And to be honest, like not trying to, to stroke you here, like I couldn't have lost to a nicer guy. So I had no regrets about the way I went about things. So it was awesome. Great experience, top to bottom. You're a great champ. Thank you. And I was like, you know, I, I see too many people you see on shows like, man, these people are like jerks on, on TV. And I'm like, last thing you want to do I is know, like, right? Jerk. That's not my personality. Yeah, I get like hyper competitive, especially with, like getting in a groove, but I won't do it to the point where I'm like overbearingly ridiculous. It's crazy. And looking at some of like those daily doubles and stuff, I had, I had told people I was not actively looking for daily doubles. 
it just happened. I would just sort of like bounce around the board and sure. just trying to fix stuff. Just no high values. Not like how James Holtower was doing. I'll do 400 here. Then I'll do 600. The other one, I had no rhyme or reason. I just did it just how I wanted to. And worked out you know, for you, it, man. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. Most, I told him, uh, you know, how they have bomb sniffing dogs. I guess I just sort of sniffed out a few daily doubles without any uh, idea or knowledge. So you ended up, who ended up beating you? Was it Tony? Uh, it was, was Roger. It, no, it was Rod. Okay. Both, I think I want to say Roger and Tony were both in my audition in New York. And I was shocked that they won. <laughs> there were guys in that audition that I was just like, I can be better on camera for them, but they know more about sports than I do. <laughs> so that was the game I was playing the audition. And then, and just getting to know some people and stuff in the green room and then talk, especially like talking in the audience before we went on. And then afterwards, after I lost, I went back in the audience and stayed the rest of the day to watch. I was rooting, I was rooting for you. Um, it was unbelievable. I was just like, I was lucky that I found the trigger on the button because these people know more than me, <laughs> like everybody. It was crazy. And I was, I don't know if you in high school or college did like quiz bowl or college bowl or anything like that. That's how I, I did, man. I'm telling you, I was all sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did that in college and I got acclimated to like buzzers because the buzzers that I played with in college are just like the lockout system. So all I had to do was sort of like okay back into a groove and like, get into a, like a a form a buzzer form which i always i don't know if it's true or not, but i always use index finger when i buzzed i noticed that i remember that you did it differently than everyone else yeah i always joke because the way i started doing that because when i was in college i was playing college bowl and i would use my thumb like everybody else so i'm watching this roy jones jr fight and he's taunting the dude and he's got his glove up like this and i'm like hmm and I just started using the index finger when I would buzz. And that's what I had used like all the way through senior year. And then, and all of a sudden I was doing auditions. I'm like, okay, this felt more comfortable than using a thumb. Well, I ended up, um, I got referred from somebody else. I found it on a J board or something like that. And then, um, there, there was a Fritz Holsnagel, like an old school Jeopardy champ from the nineties created a buzzer to practice with like a USB buzzer. I bought that damn thing. Wow. <laughs> I was practicing with that. And he had a little thing on his website that it was a very simple site where you just, you log in after you bought it, they give you a login and there's just questions on the board. And it was just practicing. Once you hear the, the last breath of that last word, that's when they un would unlock your buzzer, that the USB buzzer. And it was just practice. And that's what I did. I didn't do it for too long. It was probably like three weeks leading up to uh, the call for the audition. And so I was, I was ready for the audition and then I did it for probably another two weeks leading up to the, the actual show. But I mean, I've been playing video game nerd up until I had kids for forever. I'm like, my thumbs are fast enough. We're good. So <laughs> I got the buzzer just to try it. But uh, I don't know. I found it out in the second half of the show, but uh, I thought I had you, man. And then that oh, question, that question, the question got everybody and, and it got everybody. And that see, that's, that's another thing to me. It's just like, you know what? No sweat. None of us got it. To be honest, if, <laughs> if, if Rich got it, I was gonna be like, "Come on, man!" He was thinking that he was thinking not to bet a whole bunch. I remember he was saying that at the end. He was like, "Man, I was thinking." I knew he was gonna go. I knew he was going all in. So I didn't worry about that. As long as I had a buck, I was beating Rich. <laughs> Nothing against him. He's a good dude. I just knew his yeah. personality type. Like you could read him like a book, right? Yeah. So 
people are going to go all in. And I was just like when I go back to the final game, it's like if I only bet 5,000 points, I win even if I miss the answer. But I'm, I'm like, mm-hmm. at that point, I was telling Karina, I'm like, I'm at peace. Whatever happens in that right. game, <laughs> I was fine. I It didn't bother me. It's like, you know what? It's a heck of a run. And it, whatever happens, it happens. It's and it's funny when I think about it, I answer I'm like, man, as much as I watch 90s baseball, Mark McGuire, I kept thinking, I know he was hurt all the time. I didn't even think about <laughs> him getting to 500 home runs so fast, right? Because Griffey, I mean, he missed a chunk of 95 and he mm-hmm. had a whole ton of injuries once he got traded. Well, because it's Cincy. Yeah, and it's just you never know. Yeah, hey, hey, and you know what? The better man won. And I'm like, I'm not feeling bad. I wasn't mad. <laughs> no one's going to win everything forever, and no one's going to, you know. It's true. At that point, what else could you do? I'm like, I'm sitting there, but I did feel ridiculously fatigued after that game. I, I probably I could have, it, not have hit me probably if I had made it to the last game of the taping. It probably wouldn't hit me until that show ended and everything because I'm sitting in there uh, after game nine for me. I'm like, Okay, oh I feel like Jordan after the flu game just walking off. <laughs> it didn't hit me while I'm on the stage because there's something about once I'm on, those lights are on. I, oh, I totally. I am stoked, man. I agree, dude. I, I don't ever remember feeling that jacked up about anything. Like, once, like you said, once those lights hit, you see Dan walk out. You're just like, <sighs> like you're invincible. Coolest thing ever. Like, you, like I said earlier, like that was just such an awesome experience. Got to make a, a trip out of it. Never been to California before. Michigan, born and raised, gotten out the furthest west. I went to WrestleMania. I know you're a wrestling guy. Oh, went yeah. to WrestleMania, uh, 17, with some buddies in college, then made it out to 18 in Toronto for Hogan Rock, which was awesome, oh, wow. and then went out to 19 in Seattle. So that was the only time on the West Coast was uh, Seattle. But uh, had to go there, went to Santa Monica, took in a Dodger game the night before uh, the taping, and uh, it was awesome. What Dodger Stadium's you- cool. You went to the night game, Orioles-Dodgers? Yeah, the night before the taping, yeah. Yeah, we. I was there. I was there oh, yeah. in, um, down the first baseline in the upper bleachers. Yeah, we were there. It nice. just sort of looked out the Orioles were playing there. And like, I know, oh. perfect for you. Yeah, we flew out there early from BWI to Atlanta, then to L.A. Then on the way sure. back was LAX to LaGuardia to BWI on the way back. Yeah, when you were out there in L.A., uh, what were you able to catch other than the Dodgers game? So we did Dodger game. And then, um, so there's a friend from dental school in San Diego at the time. So we flew in Friday. Uh, we got in like early afternoon, hit a bar for some food right by the hotel in Culver City. And then took what ended up being, I think it was like six miles in an hour and 20 minute Uber from the hotel to Dodger Stadium. Did the taping the next day. Went to Santa Monica. Uh, did the pier thing and all the touristy stuff with the missus, uh, had some fun that night and then celebrated even, <laughs> Hey, two grand is two grand. Right. So we had a nice steak dinner and, uh, the next day we took the train down the coast, which was super cool. It was just tree, 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 beach, tree, 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 beach the whole way. And, uh, we spent a couple days with our, our friend down in uh, San Diego in the gaslight area, which happened to be MLB all-star weekend. If you recall <laughs> wow. at Petco. So, um we made a weekend out of that so that was that was cool as hell that was uh that was a great time san diego's gorgeous oh man we haven't got a chance we were gonna try to see if we could catch a padres or an angels game by that Mm -hmm. time we're actually heading east towards baltimore i believe that uh okay 
weekend before the All-Star break because the Orioles were in L.A. and then they flew back east and the Angels flew east to Baltimore. So we missed that game by the time gotcha. we back early Saturday morning. And yeah, when I went out there, we we said we went to the Dodgers game, checked out a uh, wait, checked out in and out once we got to L.A. Then later that mm-hmm. night, Jack in the Box after the game. Went to bed. I tried to go to bed early as possible to get up at a decent time because I didn't want to go in there feeling really tired or anything like that. And that one, I tried to get six, seven hours, try to get ready and just meet down in the lobby when they were taking the bus. I didn't want to miss yeah, it. Yeah, right. We got on that bus, uh, went, went went to the studio. Green room, that's the biggest thing I saw. You know, they had all the donuts and everything in there. Oh, yeah. Calmly went to the mini fridge they had there. I got, I think, an apple. I got a baby bell, and I got some water or something. I didn't want to have like an early shutdown by going on a sugar rush because I don't know. I guess the older I got, not as many sweets are appealing anymore. And I, I, did, I did that, and I was fine. And I felt okay. I didn't feel too hungry. I didn't feel too weighed down. And just sort of the funny thing when they did the the first go rounds when you're doing sort of the. The, the buzzer, as soon as you start getting hot, boom, they'll pull you. And then they'll switch you back and forth, switch you back and forth. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, you get to go on stage and, and play around a little bit, a couple of rounds. I was getting my butt beat in those. I was I was not confident after that. I was like, oh, geez. And then they called my name first to play. I was just like, oh, gosh, okay, here we go. Yeah, and I it was like, it, you know, sometimes I feel like this with any episode of Jeopardy, and you can see it. Sometimes you're at the mercy of the questions because mm-hmm. I feel like I could handle my own regular Jeopardy unless all of a sudden we start getting geography and art, and then I'm screwed and uh, <laughs> get a couple of blind shots. But anything else, TV, pop culture, some books. I mean, I was an English major, so I would like, okay, there's a 50 50 shot. I'm going to get these questions. But when it comes to sure. sports categories, we're trying to get in the rhythm and. What? There's something to be said about that rhythm, man. I found it. Like that, oh man, that felt good. I, I knew I was climbing and I was getting ready. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I'm trying to think, you hit a you hit a, a daily double late in the game. After I made a run at you. And I think I, I took the lead for a while. And then you hit a late double that put you back ahead. And I was just, I was devastated when you hit that. I was like, because I, I was looking for it. I was at that point, I was looking for it. And I'm just like, hey, and I knew you'd get it. It was like, oh, you just had that gut feeling because you've been hitting them. And I was like, oh, that's all right. It's all good. Great yeah, time. I was sort of like, you know, and I was saying before, I never, my one of my only regrets, I'll say, I never went all in on the daily double because some of those felt it'd be too easy to slip up and then just sort of right? have the way back. I mean, then I look like, man, these are a little too easy. Occam's Razor, baby. The simplest yeah. is usually the best, right? And that was my thing. I was just like, I felt if I hit a double, I just got to go for it. And I don't think I did. I, I think I got one, and it was um, it was like Special Olympics or something. And it ended up being the – I think it was the bench press was the answer or something like that. And uh, I think I only went 2,000, and I probably – I was sitting on like nine at the time. That was when I just started making my run. And uh, – who knows? But whatever. That's the fun of the game, right? Oh, yeah. Like, like you said, once the cameras are on, there was, oh, gosh, was it Northern Illinois? What, like, what's their mascot? And I, I can't remember what I said, but I knew it. Man. It's just stupidity because the cameras are on. Just Did you have any of those moments? Um, yeah, I'm just trying. There's probably a few. And other times I'm like, um, you draw a blank. 
like the Gabrielle Union one, it's like it's rolling in my head, and I see Dwayne Wade the whole time. I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything with like the pop culture, who's dating who, I was out. So as soon as I, I was like, I got no shot at this one, and I think Rich got that one. But uh, my <laughs> my family still to this day rips me. Like, so you got on TV, good for you. The first question you got right, the answer was Hooters. Well done, kid. <laughs> it's like, of course it was. Funny thing was, as ironic as it is, my buddy that was on the teacher's tournament also had a question in the teacher's tournament. I have no idea what the question was, but the answer was Hooters, like the restaurant chain. So we both got to answer this, like the same answer and get it right. That, anyway, That's so great. But uh, the whole experience was cool as heck. Like the schwa was cool, right? Like yeah. you watch him on Stump the Schwab and he's like, mm. He's kind of pompous, but I mean, that's the role he's playing. And then you see him backstage. We went to lunch and I couldn't talk to you because you were still on the show and they had me sit with the rest of the losers. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, it was just so crazy that I, I know they want to always keep everything on the up and up and they don't want mm-hmm. that's cool. to interact. And it's like, wow, I mean, I can understand that. It's like you start getting at tables like, okay, if you made it past lunch, if anybody made it past lunch, which if you like, watch episode of Jeopardy, the Thursday and Friday shows are when the champ gets dethroned because it's after lunch. You start seeing slow mm-hmm. action and things like that. This would probably not be considered a small lunch, but what I did was this. I did a burger. I did a salad. I did a payday bar. I did a life water and a banana. That That's does not, not bad. But I wanted to do enough where I wasn't going to be too tired playing that game because really the food. Dude, you're on. You're on for like five straight hours. I don't like a full day of taping. That's tough. Like I thought about that after I left. We sat there the whole day and watched the rest of the the tapings. And that second show, the show after uh, the one I was on, um, I think was was Miles, I think. And then um, Miles was cool as hell. He was an awesome dude. And then who was the woman, the little, she was tiny. Oh, K- Caitlin. Uh, yeah, Caitlin, Caitlin. She was so awesome. Yeah. I'm like, I felt like I was confident enough in my game with the buzzer that I, enough of us know general knowledge yeah. with sports enough to hold. As long as you can get on the buzzer, you're good. Yeah. Caitlin, man, did she know a lot of stuff about college football. I'm like, oh, if I go toe to toe with her, I'm going to lose. And I'm, college football is my thing. I was like, oh, man. She knew everything about that. Miles was just general. Like, he knew everything. But the questions for that second game, I'm like, this was my game. Fran Tarkenton, I just re- – dude, I haven't watched these episodes in like two years. I remember Fran Tarkenton was the final Jeopardy, and I knew that. I'm like, I could have won that game. Yeah. The third game, because that's what that's the game I play is like the what if. And it was just like the third game, I think I would have struggled. I can't remember what those questions were, but I remember the third game. That probably would have been the one. Like one was a science question about lift, I think, when it came to like – uh, knuckleball, and then the other one was yes, women's like, soccer, and I just could not think of the first answer. I can't. I thought it was Julie Fowley because at that point I had pretty much stopped watching ESPN, so I didn't sure. watch ESPN that much anymore. So I couldn't tell you who else was on there doing women's soccer, and sure. and I was still fine heading to that final Jeopardy. I mean, because I bounced back, got a couple of questions, and what well, I think Caitlin got the um got one daily double. It was yep. in that big Mo one, and it was because her answer was Mo Williams. I was hoping, man, if I got the one oh, that right. if I got the one that had Mo Vaughn, I would have I would have probably bet a little more on that. Absolutely, you got to pick your spots, man. Right? Just talking to everybody at the hotel and on the bus ride and in the green room, it's just like, 
man, everybody knows everything. And it's just like, just, you got to get on the buzzer. That's, it's like 60% of the game, right? Yeah. It, it's that. And there's like 5% strategy. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, like, I'd have to rewatch the episode and I'd, I'd know exactly which questions I did and didn't know the answer to, but there wasn't money that I didn't know. And it was just a matter of getting out on the bus. And I'm sure you probably felt the exact same way. It was an awesome experience. And that was the thing. It was just, you get that cadence and you start to, to build it up. So that, that was my other biggest concern as I'm like, I started feeling it in the second half and I'm like, Earl's coming. Cause he's been doing this a lot longer than I have. And he's got the momentum and he knows the feel like when you got a buzz in and stuff. So, and you did. You kind of got those last few questions, so that was it. That was Early everything. He's Undertaker or Kane. It's just like <laughs> he's coming. <laughs> I guess I just break uh, the food now. Just hit him with everything. Right, yeah, it works. Yep. <laughs> so that's the other thing. So we had kid number four in June. I haven't watched wrestling since then, and it's not that I don't want to. It's just I'm too crushed by the end of the night. Like stay up and fast forward through Raw. Like eh. I haven't I- been doing it. The last Raw I watched was the Raw the night after Mania, and since then I haven't watched any WWE show. I'll still watch the pay-per-view. I've been watching NWA Power, and I've been watching AEW. Those are the ones that I've been going with. I feel like AEW has potential, but the biggest issue is structuring a lot of stuff because you look, half of the time, this sort of old-school wrestling mentality where you have Cody and you have Dustin whenever he's on. And then you have Jericho just because Jericho is electric. I didn't think he would be able to change himself to the point where he's not a a rehash of all of his other gimmicks. And he still felt sure. good. He did. He really did. And so I, I've been watching it religiously, but I did watch the first four weeks. And I popped in like two weeks ago and watched a little bit. So I'm not exactly up with the storylines, but... Um, Jericho cut a couple fantastic promos. Uh, I think it was week two and maybe week four. I can't remember what it was, but man, you're right. Like he found another character. <laughs> it's like, how is he doing this? They've got something. It's just, um, I don't know. Like you said, it's a mix of old school and you just, they're letting the guys fly on their own, which is great. But there's a reason WWE has been so successful reining in and scripting everything. I'm not all for that, but and there's a balance between, and they just got to find it. Yeah, you should be able to be to have freedom to do your own promos, but there should be an order mm-hmm. booking strategy of this is what this is going to lead to, and you need some people who have experience leading that. I mean, I always hear that Tony Khan talks about how he was booking wrestling in his head since he was like 13 years old, and that's great. But and then you see the dichotomy where you have. A lot of high flying with everybody else. And the women's wrestling is sort of uneven, but everything with Cody and Jericho and MJF and and Adam Page is great. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't mesh together. No, they haven't found it yet. I, they will. I, as long as people stick with them. And I mean, they'll add some more talent from WWE. I, you probably, I, I, I don't, I don't watch it. I've been reading a lot of it. I, there's enough stuff I follow online that keeps me updated on what's going on. But um, I know there's a lot of talent that's not happy at WWE still. There's an option now, so they can say that and they can go somewhere. So they'll 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 find a couple people that were some some BC players at WWE that can shine, I'm sure. I'm waiting for – has Swagger talked yet? I don't know. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I yeah. think 
You don't want them to do too much. <laughs> yeah, have them be the silent heavy. And I feel like there's still plenty of guys in Ring of Honor and, and Impact. That, yeah. You know, I, I always thought when I look at things like spoiled, missed opportunities, I look at Bobby Lashley. They could have made him the perfect <sighs> competitor to Brock. Finally, because they missed it the first time. They had a second chance. And they screwed that up. Here's and, Lana. <laughs> and I always thought, man, I'm surprised they never hired Jay Lethal because he was the perfect type of WWE guy. And then I go all the yeah. way, Norman Smiley. Norman Smiley was the perfect WWE style wrestler that never got the shot. Him running That's around the hardcore title and, and just the big wiggle, it, it would have gotten over. <laughs> Vince would have found a way to get the big wiggle over bigger. Oh, he would got he would have gotten so over with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, totally. And I like the hurricane, but I think the Norman Smiley would have been bigger than the hurricane. And I and oh, definitely, yeah. It, it's perfect. It's everything you, it's everything you're looking for. A guy who has decent promo skills, a guy who can make the audience laugh, and who is very believable. And honestly, on an unrelated note, I'm just hoping Jericho is some way he could bring back Ralphus for like a brief cameo. <laughs> <laughs> he brought Virgil back for like. Oh, you're going deep tracks, baby. I love it. Okay, <laughs> right. tell you, man. I remember. The, Going back and forth, switching from Raw to Nitro from what 95 to legitimately 99 until they like brought the NWO back for the third time. And then I just started watching so Raw. And then I hit college by that time. Of course, WCW was dead and then ECW yep. was dead. And then when I went to college, they didn't have Spike on the cable because they still had USA and they had just made oh, the man. move to Spike. And I had felt like I was out of the loop so much, but they say. As a wrestling fan, there's a 10-year window when you start watching where you're into it, and then after that, you sort of fall out of it. And mm -hmm. I'm 94 to 2004, I was all in it regardless of what I missed. After that, it was sort of like, man. I did the same thing. I was out. So I was like uh, WrestleMania 4, so that would have been 88. That was my first experience was, uh, was the tournament uh, and seeing Macho get crowned. And uh, that my first – Full year was the mega powers exploding and that i mean talk about the perfect year to get into it right so i went in and i was all in until about 96 you talk about that 10 years and then i was out and got right back in in like 98 i was out for like um yeah probably about two years i got pulled back in in college and then i was out again after 03 after austin was done i was never a big austin fan in hindsight i am seeing what he did like Watching his stuff again, like on the network, is awesome. But in like in the moment, I was a big rock guy. I was a big Hogan. I was a Hulkamaniac growing up as a kid, and uh, I got out of it for probably like oh three to ten. And my buddy just he's like, "You want to start watching wrestling again?" We we're just having a couple some beers one night. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, let's 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 do it." And that was it. It was the Nexus invasion, <laughs> and that that sold me, and I was in, and I didn't stop until just this June. I'll get back into it. It's only a matter of time because my oldest boys going to be five. I got into it when I was about five and a half. So we'll get there. And I always think um, for a point, even like in that 2003, 2004 range, not seeing wrestling. And then when I do my internship at a TV station in DC, I can tell you how long I hadn't watched it because I didn't know that Undertaker went back to the dead man. We're watching, I think it was wrestle. No, it was a great American bash where he does. He mm -hmm. pulls up and buries and Paul Bearer in the cement. I'm like, wait a yep. minute. <laughs> the dead man again is crazy. For years, we only had all the TV stations we had, none of them showed SmackDown. 
None of them shows. Oh, well. All we had was was Monday Night Raw on USA and Spike. And then it's like, oh, you're only seeing stuff on SmackDown. Maybe you see maybe on the pay-per-view or if they show up on Raw. And then when you start right. hearing, oh, The Undertaker's back. And then he's a dead man. And Paul Bearer's back and all this other stuff. I'm like, man, I'm missing out on all this good stuff. I missed the Eddie Guerrero stuff, Rise and everything. And oh, then man. by the time now I have access to SmackDown, I don't care anything about it anymore. Yep. Right? Exactly. It's hard to watch right now. They're missing the boat on a lot of things, but I mean, I don't know. I'll get back into it, but uh, it was it was good while it lasted up until June. It was starting to get a little stale for me. Like, I, I just feel like they're missing the boat on, like, Rollins. Like, Rollins is a fantastic heel. They shouldn't have waited this long to get him back in the heel. Um, the Fiend thing works, but it'll be interesting to see how they blow that. Because I, I know they will. <laughs> But uh, a little cheesy, but that's like more get that's like super gimmicky, like late 80s stuff. Obviously, a lot darker than they would have gone back then. But he's sticking with it. I like it. It's more original now. My my thing is, is I watched a little bit of the NXT War Games and though the women's War Games match was really good, especially making it a four on two where basically Rhea Ripley gets handcuffed to Shayna Baszler and basically yeah. she's just fighting her way out and all the stuff and then uses the uh used the handcuff to put her in the riptide yeah fighting war games i feel like the, my only thing is the escaping the cage and no roof on the cage it just felt like i know nothing's going to be 100 the same but that was sure. you know war game format and i assume cody while doesn't have the rights to the name can still do the format we'll figure it out call it the match beyond because he got the match beyond part but couldn't get the war games Part. So basically, the match yep. is on, and that's the other thing. It just has to be submission only because when I think the first four games I watched was 94. It was Dustin Rhodes. It was Dusty. It was the Nasty Boys against Colonel Parker, Buckhouse Buck. That was probably – I was more entertained about that by anything than Hogan did at that time, and I don't even think Hogan – and that's what uh, two months or so before uh, that Starcade, where Savage, mm-hmm. like the ye- two years before, because Savage had just showed up in Starcade. Yep. He was showing up on Saturday night talking about he's going to be there in Starcade and all that other stuff. And I feel like, and I watched some of the early stuff. I was watching up from what, 92 up to when Hogan came. I think that Clash of the Champions okay. where Hogan came and then uh, Bash of the Beach. Honestly, WCW was starting to grant to me, starting to grow a little bit of momentum. Flair was back, Vader was oh, there. yeah, Austin and Steamboat, Dustin was uh, Dustin Rose was great, and I feel like yep. man, that had potential. And then then Hogan came in, and I always saw if WCW was in better management, they could have made Austin the version of Stone Cold that fought the NWO off with DDP and Sting. Because if you I see it like this, you do the storyline, Austin's just sort of a mid Carter, still stunning Steve. Then the NWO attacks him, shaves his head, and then he just starts going off and starts going all renegade. And then DDP, you have DDP on one side, and then you have Sting, who's still hiding from one oh, and screw that up. And and that Starcade, <laughs> the store you had all you would have had Austin, you would have Sting, you would have DDP uh, fight the NWO. And goosebumps. But you know, I mean, it's always easy to fantasy book years later. I just know. I just read an article that uh, uh, Sting's willing to get in shape for a, a WrestleMania match with the with Taker. Like, no, they, they <laughs> hard ruined, pass at this point. They ruined that. Uh, you know, 
and I don't want to blame Seth Rollins for that power bomb, but man, that, no. that really didn't help. I mean, I didn't How old was he? Like 56, 56, 58 at the time? Like, you know, but then I got to hear Edge is trying to get, get ready to get back for one more I match. just saw that. <laughs> Why? He's going to die in the ring. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we don't need anybody else dying in the Viewership ring. doing this. Edge's bank account doing this. Like, yeah. Do the math. Okay? I just don't understand why. There's nothing else you have to prove. I mean, I agree. I feel like matches that that the boats that were missed on that. It's Undertaker, Sting, Hogan, Cena, and uh, and I'm actually Hogan Austin and oh, hey, not Hogan that it would have been great, but oh three because Austin was he was done. His 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 physicality. He was done. Hogan was. For all intents and purposes, he was done. He yeah. could still carry the stick, but eh. yeah, you're right. No, Hogan Cena would have been cool, but I, I instead of that. Triple H Sting, yeah. it should have been Taker Sting. That was it. That was the boat right there. In a van, find. I don't care if it was a. It was. A, it was one of those bad endings where you know Kane comes mm-hmm. out and appears and rolls the match. I don't care. They could all disappear, and that's it. Everybody could have went home, sort of like Undertaker's done. Sting is gone. Yep. Everybody got what they want, and or something like that. I mean, because I still feel like that ending was Roman Reigns at after that one WrestleMania where he did the gloves and everything. That should have been it. He shouldn't have came back to beat John Cena in like thirty seconds. I uh, that was ridiculous. And you know, Cena would he'd do the honors. Like you knew he'd do it. But that was that was the one where he's sitting in the eating popcorn in the stands. He wasn't booked, so he bought a ticket. Right? <laughs> yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness! And it's just like, <laughs> why? Do you insult our intelligence? It's like Vince about twenty years ago said, "We're not here to insult your intelligence." Yet you insult our intelligence now. And I don't know. Maybe Every it's just we were kids back then, and now we're adults, and we're the ones who have the money and the financial power. And why we want to look back? Hey, it's great seeing some of our favorite people from twenty years ago. But now they're. Most of them were probably in the tail in their mid thirties, early forties at that time. Now they're 56, 60 and yeah. And it's just like for flair to be. It ain't, the, it ain't the same. It's like, I, I hear, I get, I still get the feelings. Like they'll bring Hogan out and I'm like, I hear the song. I just like, Grr! and then yeah. he takes the mic and you're like, Ooh, that's painful. And it's just like, Oh man, and no, no more. He's not being able to do his own promo stuff anymore. He's shilling for the company. And mm-hmm. he's just plugging the network. That's all he does. He plugs the network every time. It's like, hey. I always worry if he's drunk or not because <laughs> he is out of it. Yeah. No, you, you can tell he's not there. That, that <laughs> It's bad. So, and, yeah. And when I see AEW, when I see Cody putting out promos, and it's like, man, he's got the genetics with the mic because there's no doubt about that. Uh, oh, I for sure. He got the mic. He got. I think he got the better mic skills than Dustin. But then again, Dustin was able to be a little freer as Gold Dust. And I think I always saw when they were doing that promo for that. I forget which pay per view that was. Maybe it was All In or I always think of that WCW promo where it's Dusty in the ring with Dustin. We're talking about the Earps are blood, the Kennedys are blood, yes. the are blood. Why not use? I would. I, maybe you couldn't get any. Uh, get wwe to give you the 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 audio or video clip for it but i'm thinking especially if you have brother against brother and it's the road right. family, you have dusty's voice in the background there is Got to. give you more goosebumps and i watched those being 
Oh man, I, you know it's funny when they had that run with. I know I'm bump, bouncing here and there, but I think when they had that run with Cody, all this for the NWA title. When you see yep. the ten pounds of gold stories, and the NWA knows how to put together those ten pounds of gold, they're really really good. And it's just the storytelling in it, I feel like. That is what wrestling needs. I feel like the NWA does that well, and I like how they have power where it's sort of hit-and-run type of stuff like you would have seen the old NWA stuff on TBS. Sure. Where promo, match, promo, match, promo, match, promo, match. And I like that. And I feel like there is no one way to do a wrestling show anymore. Just WWE's way. There is overproduced. It's promo, 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 match, promo, 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 half match, promo, D- DQ, promo, and run in and we beat this person up backstage. So here's a surprise combatant. And now it's a six man tag. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> right. Add another one. You go on, you know, oh, we're missing Teddy Long. One on one with the other second plant. That's all it is. <laughs> it's perfect. It's- it was so funny. So, like, in this jaunt from like 2010 until this past June, probably like four years in, I got another buddy of mine back into watching it and he hadn't watched it in forever. And he'd start coming over to my house uh for pay-per-views so i had the network he didn't he'd come over we'd watch and i can't remember this guy's like two years older than me so he's like near 40 at the point and he's like we're talking about a super kick and i get up we're having a couple beers and i demonstrate one and i smacked my leg just like they slapped the leg and he's like what are you doing i'm like i'm slapping my leg for the effect he's like why i'm like because that's what they do and he was just like he had never freaking realized like that's what they do. Just funny stuff. Like you're a grown man, you don't realize what's happening. He was still a kid watching it. It was kind of funny to watch. And, and I feel and, a little bit bad that I broke that glass for him. <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes when Shawn Michaels did a super kick, it wasn't obvious. Oh, he's great at it. HBK does that super hip turn where it's almost like a reverse kick. So he hides it so well. But you're right, nowadays. And then you got Seamus with the bro kick. Yeah, I always thought that. You know, one thing I always watch, especially like maybe early 2000s, they always kept trying to give a wrestler the overdrive as a finish. It doesn't work. It's not very good. Randy Orton had it. Uh, MVP yep. had it. It's a move that's not good, and it doesn't look good. It's very sloppy, and it's nope. very unimpressive. Very much so. Yeah, no, I would totally agree. We'd, um, I'm sure you played uh, No Mercy or WrestleMania 2000 on N64. That was a move that a buddy of mine created in his creator wrestler. That was his finisher, and we would give him junk for it all the time. <laughs> Loved it. W- NWO World Tour. That was so great because DDP had. Oh, that was a great one too. Played yeah. with the diamond cutter. You could send him off the rope, throw him up, diamond cutter. You could do a standing diamond cutter. They found a million so good. to do the same move, which is absolutely awesome. And like I said, the diamond cutter a thousand times better than the RKO. The only thing that makes the RKO oh, definitely is the, is all the memes that that came out of it. All the vines that came True. out. Yeah. Stuff that didn't exist when the diamond cutter was hot, right? Yeah, yeah. And what are you gonna do? I have to ask you this. As a Detroit fan, how many times did you go to Tiger Stadium? Because just looking at Tiger Stadium looked like it was pretty awesome. It was awesome. So yeah. I'd been there a lot. First game I got the ticket stub was eighty seven against the Brewers. My dad took us. Uh we got there early for batting practice. The Brewers were were hitting around. We got a ball. First game ever. Never got one since. <laughs> Ever. Um, my dad took us to another game. We were in box seats in left field. This was probably like 1990. And fielder hit a home run. Dude in front of us had a kid in his left arm. No glove. Barehanded. My dad ended up inadvertently elbowing the guy ahead trying to get the, the ball. The dude still caught it. Barehanded with his right hand with the baby in the other hand. I remember that. 
I got to Tiger Stadium quite a bit, and uh, there's nothing that has beaten to this day any state. I've been to Fenway. I've been to Camden, Yankee. Nothing to me still beats. Fenway's cool, but walking all those nasty blue stairs in center field up at Tiger Stadium and walking the catwalk from the concrete to the bleachers. To me, that and again, it's nostalgia. I guarantee it. But man, Tiger Stadium was it was sweet. I loved it. It was sight lines were great. You had some obstructive view seats, but it was never packed enough to have to worry about that. Hot dogs are great. Just ball at the corner. That was it, man. It was awesome. If I had to estimate it, probably 30, 40 times been there. That had to be awesome. I was just thinking, man, it would have been nice to go to a stadium like that. I can say just going down the ones I've been to, I've been to Camden Yards. I've been to RFK mm-hmm. or Nats game, Nats Park. I'm no longer starting to like Nats Park because now they don't let you take book bags in and you can't take food in. And you can only take one bottle of water. Just giving you reasons not to go. <laughs> well done. Rickley, you can take your book bag in. Uh, yep. Camp Bars, of course, you can get food outside and bring it in. They won't say a single thing to you. And then Miller Park's really nice. Uh, Driven by it and haven't been in. It was really cool. And we got like super cheap tickets. We were down the nice. uh, uh, third base line, left field line. And the, the only problem was it was really hot and the retractable roof was open. So it was like shadow here and Bacon. hot here. <laughs> And then guaranteed rate field, eh, where your concourse is separated, your your lower levels are separated, and you can't even go down to get on the levels. It doesn't make any sense. And yeah, least con- favorite ever. As for me, like as far as baseball stadiums go, I've probably been, I haven't been a ton of them, but guaranteed rate, worst. It's just a concrete block, not a lot of character. Wrigley's fun. That's a good time. Been there a few times. Um, Safeco, Great American Ballpark. PNC is awesome. I'm hoping to get there soon. I just want oh, to get to Pittsburgh. But I'll tell you this. I do like Citizens Bank. Citizens Bank is really nice. You can walk across the street. They have a Comcast experience thing. That's where the Spectrum was. And there's Wells Fargo. And then to the left of that, there's Lincoln Financial. And it's madness when it comes to parking. But, I mean, everything else, not too bad. Once you can get right out of the city and get on 95. I can't imagine. <laughs> oh, man. I've driven by, uh, visited Philly once and uh, a couple of years back. Drove by the, on the freeway, just to, all the stadiums are right there. And just like, whew. it's perfect. I mean, DC, the, that's the biggest problem there. You have all your stadiums scattered out. Capital One, that's where, you know, that's downtown. Nats Park is completely a whole different level. And then FedEx, that's the less said about FedEx, the better because. While they didn't raise anybody of the coals for public funding, it's just in the most inopportune location because you still have to walk a bit to get to the Metro and all this other stuff. RFK, you get sure. on, you go to Stadium Armory, you get off, you go to the game, Boom. you can go to the Armory for a little party, and after that, then you get back on the Metro and go wherever you need to go. Yeah, that's the only problem with uh, FedEx. It's just logistical nightmare. Yeah, and I, have not, uh, I haven't been to LCA yet, downtown Detroit. Just, again... The Wings and the Pistons haven't been much to watch, so I haven't watched, and there's been no reason to go. No one's given me tickets. So, I mean, from where I'm at now, I'm, I'm like 20 minutes north of Ann Arbor, um, so it's still a 45-50-minute drive, <clears throat> excuse me, drive to get down there. I'll probably get down there for a concert before I get down there for a, a basketball or hockey game, but uh, I've heard good things. I've heard the best part about it is all the shops and everything around it, <laughs> not, not what's going on in the center. Yeah, because really my area of travel and stuff, it's either Baltimore I haven't been to the arena yet, and I know that's big when it comes to history of wrestling and stuff like that. But Cam Yard has been there. I haven't been to Raven Stadium in a very, very long time. 
honestly, I was going to make a plan of it. Had the Orioles made the divisional series in 2016, I was going to try to make a day of it. Go see Redskins Ravens at MNT and then kill the rest of the day because there would have had them in game three. They would have played the Rangers in Baltimore that night. <sighs> if it worked out, Buckshaw <laughs> Walter didn't screw it up in Toronto. Um, that would have been the plan <laughs> two games in one day. And that would have been probably the best experience ever because the Redskins won that game against the Ravens. Jameson Crowder had a punt return for a touchdown. But as an Orioles fan, we were blessed to see uh, Jose Batista get comboed by uh, Roughnet Odor. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> it sucks that the ghost of uh, Showalter passed uh, haunted him again where uh-huh. John Wetland in the bullpen, but went with Jack McDowell and the Mariners scored all those runs. To, to win the series and move on to the LCS. Ugh. Dude, you're talking stuff that I haven't thought about in a while. That's good stuff. Man, good old Buck Show Walter. And, Who and misses him? <laughs> I'll say this. Even after 2016, he still seemed to have, like, command the respect of the team, even though it sort of waned a little. I don't know what happened in 2018. I don't know. They felt like though they, they had one more shot to uh, put the band back together and go for one more run because they kept winning – making the playoffs in even years, and then they just fell apart out of the gate, and it just seemed like it was a disaster. But I'm glad the Orioles are going through the rebuild now. And, and the Tigers are going through the rebuild too. I mean, different ways, but different philosophy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the funny thing is, I think back to, what was it, uh, 2011, got to the series. 2013, had a chance, got, uh, got housed by the Sox. The pitching staff we had that we didn't do anything with. You had Verlander. You had Fister, you had uh, Scherzer, you had uh, Porcello, and friggin' David Price. Yeah, and, and all these rings we got. Know about this one? Yeah, 2014. That series, I went the game. That was it. Yeah, series in Baltimore, and then uh, Delman Young hit the double in Game Two, and then I was sitting at home watching that Game Three in Detroit. I was like, I can't Swept. believe they they actually held on to beat the Tigers. Swept. That was crazy. Oh. Like, I didn't think we were going to win the series that year. We just didn't have it. And I, Miggy had some struggles. And they just didn't have that feel like they were going to make moves. I thought they'd get further than they did. And I did not expect to get swept by the Orioles. And, but they got hot at the right time. And the thing that got me is this. There was no Machado. There was no Chris Davis. There was no Matt Weeters. And I always think had any combination of those two, I mean, excluding Chris Davis, they probably beat Kansas City. I think Machado and, and sure. carry them to the World Series. Whether they beat the Giants, who knows? But, you know, it would have been fun to see. I always kept planning in those in that era from, what, 2012 to 2018. It's going to be an orange and black October. And it never happened. It's like how the Wizards had the roster that was built to beat LeBron in the playoffs. And yep. they could never get to LeBron. Just didn't get the job done. Nope. It was either the Hawks that beat them or somebody <clears throat> else or the Raptors that beat them and they or the Celtics, and they could never get to LeBron. And I think they could have dealt them the blow with a healthy wall and a healthy beal, and they could just never yep. get It's unreal, dude. Like, my Pistons back in the mid-2000s, Robert Ory. That's all Robert freaking Ory did it again. Like, she, on the inbound, like, I, I could see that. that That is uh, probably the maddest that my wife has ever been at me in regards to going off on sports. I don't get like that anymore, like, in perspective. Back in the day, that was like 14 years ago. We were house-sitting for my grandma, <laughs> who was out of town in Vegas. And I remember Dawn was in the kitchen. It's a little 
thousand square foot house, little teeny cookie cutter thing. I'm in the living room watching the game. Ori hits that shot. I grabbed a pillow from the couch I was sitting on, just launched it across the room towards the entryway to the kitchen, right as she's coming out. Just aced her right in the face with a pillow. Oh my god. <laughs> Not good. But yeah, dude, uh, the Pistons was at six straight Easter Conference Finals. Obviously, once LeBron got going with the Cavs, it wasn't going to happen. Overcame that hill with Jason Kidd in the Nets. They had the squad. Should have at least had two. Could have fought for a third, but I, at least two. Should have been 05. That was that was rough. Again, once LeBron got going, man, that was it. 25 in the fourth quarter in 06. Like, eh. And I watched that 04 finals. We said that was probably the first ever five-game sweep we ever saw because of yep. the Pistons. Everybody knows Pistons can stop Shaq, but they could stop Kobe. And and that and I always say that that's a big uh, dent to Kobe's legacy because he got too selfish. Nobody could beat Shaq, and he tried sure. to play hero ball, and he struggled mightily. And then Lakers tried to load up the first time with Malone and Peyton, and you know they end up doing it again with Dwight Howard and Steve Nash, and that didn't work either. And nope. You think. They learned nothing from 04. Right? We went into that series. I had no fear about the Lakers. I knew we were going to beat them because I had seen the defense they had played for the last two years. And I'm like, this is this is happening. And sure enough, that you talk about the five-game sweep. Like That was all anyone talked about around here was five-game sweep. I remember where I was when Kobe hit that three to win them that game. I was, just, I was, I was so mad because we had them the whole time. And he did. I mean, Kobe's going to get one, right? He did, but I was not surprised by the outcome of that series just based on – because I watched probably 90% of those games that season because they were hot. And once they got sheed, that was it, man. Any plans on trying to get on regular Jeopardy? Hell no. I'm not that smart. <laughs> no, when it comes to, like, uh, literature and geography and you – know, no. There's too much. There's too much. Because I just want to give it a shot just to see if I can make it. Because I watch and I'm sitting there watching them. Watch. Some of these people are not that good and I could beat them. It's just getting past the test. If I can get past the test, I think exactly. I can get on there and I could probably win two or three games just feeling like some of these guys. There was a couple of contestants last season before the James stuff where I'm like, how are you winning? It's not enough frustrating when you see people who bomb out on the sports categories. It's like because somebody was complaining on some message board, oh, why do you have sports? I mean, it's general same knowledge. As, yeah, it can be said anything about African American literature or African American stuff because those questions get astrology, into like astrology. mythology. I'm with you. If you're gonna have like stuff on Netflix shows and people aren't getting those answers either, what does that say about those? Yeah, right. I don't even watch Netflix enough, or you know, most streaming stuff now, sure. but I'll be able to hold my own and. Yes. How do you guys not do this? Were you that isolated as kids? Right. One of the things I wanted to ask you about as well is you have your own practice. So it's actually Dawn. That's the dentist. She's the smart one. I'm the beauty of the operation. Yeah, <laughs> I run the business side. Yeah. I run the business. She is the dentist. It's working out well. We're three years in now. And uh, we've tripled the business since we've taken it over. And things are awesome. It's good. What were the growing pains in, in starting your own practice so the biggest thing for us was we purchased an existing practice from a retiring provider and we inherited his team. And the biggest hurdle for us was to 
trying to put this very politely, <laughs> bring in new fresh talent. How's that? That was willing to change. And I understand where they're coming from. They had been doing the same things for like 30 years. <laughs> so here we come in and we're starting to upgrade and modernize the practice. And they just, it was a lot for them. So we brought in a new team and things went from to like that pretty much instantaneously. It's been a lot of work, but um, it's been great. It's been a, a huge learning experience. We're actually looking at building a brand new building and getting out of the lease that we're in right now and um, blowing it up doing fun with it. So it's been a crazy three years and we've added two kids as we've gone along and done this. So uh, I'm tired a lot. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and I can imagine especially just bringing in people, you know, because old routines are hard to change to bring in people mm -hmm. with such a fresh mindset and, you know, that are going to follow the plan that that's been laid out. Does it make things so much easier? Yeah. So we've got complete buy-in from the team that we have now and we train them very well. I'm not the one doing the training. We hire another company to bring that to bring them in and they do clinical training, patient experience training, teamwork training, all kinds of stuff, communication-based stuff. And what that's allowed us to do is really get everyone on the same page as far as it goes to what the protocol is for regardless of what we're trying to do. And our goal is to have a unique dentistry perception changing experience when they walk through our doors. And so I think we've done a pretty good job of that as it shows just based on the number of new patients we're getting every month and stuff like that. So it's been a whirlwind, but it's been fun and we're just continuing to grow and just trying to manage that wave, baby. What's the biggest thing about especially putting together a business plan for something like this when that idea came up? So the biggest thing is trying to get real numbers. So where Dawn was a dentist at previously, she had seen immense growth in the practice from the business side while she was there. She had something to do with it, but it was a part of the bigger aggregate of the entire team doing what we are trying to get to. It was a bigger practice than what we have, but it's the same fundamentals. So the biggest thing in dentistry is a lot of the averages and a lot of the common knowledge that's gained as far as when it goes to like trying to get financed by banks and talking to people that can help you fund growth. They're used to old school metrics and used to old school numbers where the things that we're doing... I'm not trying to brag, but just telling you what they are. Like we're doing double what the industry standard is. So when a bank is looking, we're trying to grow and get a new building. Our, our next obstacle is getting financed for this new building. We're telling them we're growing at 30% a year. That's unheard of in, in dentistry. They're looking at two to 5% growth. And that's what's considered fantastic. And we're doing 30. So for them, they want to see how the numbers are real. So what we've got to do is we've really got to drill down to why those numbers are the way they are, what we've done. They ask a lot of questions about marketing and stuff that we've done. They want to take a deeper dive into our books and make sure what I'm telling them is the truth. And that we're not a front for something else, for lack of better terms, that we're not running some breaking bad business. But um, it's just a different way of doing things that we're trying to do. And it's it's working very, very well. But as far as the business plan, it's just getting real solid numbers. And you can get those in any industry. And we've worked with brokers and other people at, at the beginning when we first started to try and find out what those numbers really mean. We base those against what we know the current practice that we're buying was doing, and then looking at the changes that we're gonna make and the impact that that's gonna have. So we did time studies on what our hygiene team was doing and what Dawn was doing versus what the previous provider was doing. And she's faster, she's doing it with more technology that's making her more efficient. She's able to do more with do more with more, so to speak. And um, we kind of put that all together in one giant Excel package and they bought. So things are good. I'm also guessing being married to a dentist that the odds are she's going to tell you some pointers like, don't forget to brush behind <laughs> the wisdom teeth and all those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, her bedside manner is fantastic. Um, I, it, 
I knew when she wanted to go to dental school, I knew this is what our end game would be. Um, I hated my previous career. When I was on Jeopardy, it was sports Jeopardy. I was a stay-at-home dad. My real job besides stay-at-home dad was to find us a practice. And that was a year and a half job until I found the practice. And now I run the business side, let her worry about the clinical side. And what I didn't realize until I really got into this position with the business is that there's no business curriculum whatsoever in dental school, which is a shame because I know the numbers are dwindling from what they used to be, but over half a dentist own their own practice, at least in the past. And for them to not know how to run a business is a shame. But I knew that I had the fundamental business. I went to business school. I've worked for those big companies, done those kind of salesy things. I know how to run a business. This was a perfect combo and it just ended up working out that we end up working very well together. We also don't see each other much during the day because she's busy seeing patients, which is exactly where I want her. So <laughs> it's worked out, man. It's, it's been good. It's been a good ride and we're excited to see what happens the next five years. Dustin, I do appreciate you being on the show. And what is the best way people can reach out to you social media? So I am on Twitter. It's at Dustin Curris. Facebook, it's at Dustin Curris. Our business is Nurture Family Dental. We're in Brighton, Michigan. All of my contact info is out there on the Nurture Family Dental site. But uh, I'm always happy to talk to people about Jeopardy experience, what I learned, audition experience, any questions anybody has, even if they want to just chat sports. Obviously, I don't mind doing that at 11 o'clock at night, especially with somebody as knowledgeable as Mr. Earl Dutch. I remember that. <laughs> I call you champ because you beat me. So. <laughs> With this all being done, do you think, well, man, I know all this info. What use can I put it to now? Yeah, let's see. That's the thing. You know what? I'm like, at this point, it's just completely useless because I can't go back on the show. But it was so funny. Like, for the longest time, family would make fun of us because like I told you earlier, like me and my brother were the black sheep. We were the sports guys. Everybody else was either farming or auto. And uh, I always used to joke with them. I say, oh, it's just stupid Jeopardy knowledge. Just passing it off like I'd get on one day. And sure enough what happened so as far as the knowledge that i got now it's just stuff to pass on to the kids hopefully one of them enjoys sports i'm not pushing it on them i played basketball and baseball growing up i hope one of them does it if not whatever as long as they're happy it's cool but it's fun knowledge to pass down especially i'll tell you what my favorite stuff dude is i'll see on like nba tv in the off season a run of like classics from the 80s and early 90s boom all day <laughs> I'll, I'll watch Especially like you hit me with some like 92, 93 Knicks Bulls. Yes, please. As much as I can get. I love that stuff. It's all good. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dustin Curris, and I hope to get the opportunity to talk a bit more about his Tigers. If you like this episode, don't forget to share this show, give a like, and leave a review. You can find this episode as well as other episodes of the Sports Refuge podcast by going to the Sports Refuge website, www.thesportsrefuge.com. You can also subscribe to the show wherever else podcasts are heard, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and much more. You can also find video excerpts from this and other episodes of the podcast on Instagram by following us at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, all one word. Next time, my guests are brothers Matt and Josh Shockley, comic book artists and co-creators of the brand PLB Comics. Some of the topics of discussion include the meaning behind the PLB Comics name, beer brewing, and their appearance in a major movie. Until next time, this is our Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at the Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.